Evening, everyone. Welcome to tonight's podcast. And um, welcome to Logan, who uh, Logan is a co-op at um, Drexel University. And um, we at Land Health uh, employ about six co-ops at a time. And uh, Bridget um, had her last uh, podcast that she helped facilitate last week. And we got Logan on this time um, taken over because the switching of the co-ops just, just happened. So um, I now have my new uh, helper um, with putting podcasts together um, in Logan. So glad to have her here. I invite you all to, uh, as usual, <clears throat> get yourself in a, um, in a open, responsive, relaxed kind a place and state. I am going to this evening um, grab one of my amethyst uh, um, sticks of incense, putting in it my little Buddha incense holder. I'll get my match here. There we go. And All right, I'm lit. Actually, I'm not. Went out. One more. Okay. So I'm ready. Got some other good things, like a couple of nice shiny pieces of uh, schist around me to get me in the mood of connecting. Connecting is going to weigh in to tonight's topic all about eyes so if you're all ready i'm going to get going there's this place a place where we dive and delve into the wonders of our surroundings where the law is consilience a jumping together of knowledge forming a bridge that strongly connects the sciences the arts the humanities a place where natural systems and human systems coexist in harmony, where connections are sought between humans and nature, humans and humans, nature and nature. And yes, a place where land, the living layers of earth, is an equal member of the community with rights just like humans. In this special place, the sense of wonder is our sustenance. You've just arrived at the land health ecosystem. In my, uh, repeated opening, um, I mentioned um, where connections are sought between humans and nature, also humans and humans and nature and nature. And uh, tonight, we're going to definitely touch on some connections between humans and nature and humans and humans to a degree. And the uh, focal point of all that is going to be on the, the wonders of, of eyes. So. I've been doing lots of thinking off and on, extra thinking about eyes since COVID hit us all. And um, it started to hit me kind of early on that um, I, I would go for my typical run in the park or occasional bike ride. And next thing you know, lots of people are wearing masks. And, um, and it, 
it's really changed things, I think, in the way we communicate, the way we perceive. And I started taking more and more note of, um, of what was going on. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed that, um, you know, all of a sudden you, you, you basically had lost like three quarters of, of the surface of somebody's front of their head that, we're, that we in the past would, would so much take for granted being there. And, and then over the months, I've just kind of been, been more and more aware of that, aware of, you know, aware of how we communicate, aware of how much our other facial features enter into communication, and then also aware of just how important or extra important now our eyes are in the connection just between humans when, when you know, when we're out and about, um, assuming that one or both of us are wearing masks. And um, it's, been, um, it's, it's been quite an awakening. And, and, and one, unfortunately, at least for me, is it's, it's been mostly sad. Um, I think there's, whenever you have odd situations that, are, that have a lot of negativity to them, there's always opportunities um, you know, to, to gain something positive that you might not otherwise have thought about. And I do think that that's at play here. You know, to a, to a large degree, and um, you know, I I've always been someone who's just kind of you know lo loved eyes. I think that they're like an amazing organ. They're 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 a fascinating thing, and they're just simply like a like a beautiful work of art. And I don't care if you're talking about you know an eye of the you know lowest on the totem pole creature all the way up to humans. Um, they're just these these really amazing structures that that uh you know, that, that are all about us. And, um, you know, and, but I also have prided myself on, on thinking I'm pretty aware of stuff, pretty perceptive. And, um, I would, uh, you know, I started to find that I'd be like, you know, taking a run on forbidden drive and somebody would say, Hey Scott. And, um, I would look and I would say hi. And I didn't know who that person was. And it's happened on several occasions. A few different times, I when 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 it wasn't just a one person running past the other, and and um, you know, you had a little bit more time to connect. I, I had to actually say, "Can you, like I I can't recognize you. Voice sounds familiar. Um, can you like take your let, let me let me see your face?" And uh, you know, I, I I started thinking further, like you know, how much have I really looked people in the eyes in the past? Um, you know, I really think eye to eye contact is important when we're, we're uh, strong communication is concerned. And then I started thinking like, you know, why do I feel like, you know, more people are recognizing me than I'm recognizing them. Um, and, and I have to sort of like give, give myself a little bit of a benefit there that um, um, I got some hair that might, uh, you know, might help them as to who they're looking at. So there, there, it might be like an added revealing feature because um, it's kind of messy. And, um, and, and so they might, you know, they might associate that with me and, and, and if somebody doesn't have something like that, you know, I'm left with their eyes, but it's been, it's been a wake up call and about, you know, as I, um, as I bump into people and then I, and, and more and more, I, I, I've been really looking at the people I'm passing and, um, you know, now like kind of, if, if you pass somebody and they're wearing a sizable mask, it leaves us, leaves us with at most like the eyes and, um, and a forehead maybe. And that's, and that's what we have to kind of gauge how that person's feeling. 
um, you know, how that, how that person might be expressing him or herself. Um, if, if, if somebody has bangs or just like a whole lot of hair in the, in the front of the face, then, then you know, sometimes all you, all you have is like a horizontal row of eyes. Um, I, I notice, like, you know, some people have masks that they, they go all the way below the chin. Um, you know, I'm starting to look at people's ears now just to kind of get a sense of connection. And, um, but, you know, I, but I noticed that, like, like what has happened um, around us where, like, we, you know, we, we can't see each other's mouths if, if, if we're masked. Um, we can't see each other's noses. Um, like, I think noses are awesome. I love mouths. Um, I like all body parts. I think they're all pretty amazing. Um, the wrinkles and the creases that people get, you know, around their nose, around the sides of their mouth, you know, it's, it, it all plays a part in communication. It all plays a part in connection. And um, I really miss it. It's, uh, they're, they're not there anymore. And, 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 but I, I've started recently wondering, like, you know, what are some other new ways of communicating or connecting um, that, that, that may come about? you know, the longer that we're uh, kind of just hanging out with each other when we actually can hang out with each other. Um, and, you know, when, when so much of our faces are, are covered. And um, it's, uh, you know, I started also thinking like, well, when, when do I see full faces outside of, you know, like my immediate family and, you know, and a handful of people that I, that I'll occasionally see on a regular basis. And, you know, we're, we're, we don't, you know, worry about masks. Um, and, uh, and then I started getting sad because all I could think about was Zoom and, um, you know, how, you know, like a lot of people, Zoom has invaded my life. Um, I'm the guy that wants to be outdoors. I'm the guy that wants to be with others outdoors. I'm the guy that wants to be teaching outdoors. And um, I still do most of this, but all my teaching now takes, or just about all of it takes place via Zoom. And at uh, Drexel, where I teach, the, the semester for the fall just kicked in this week. And, um, and I've been teaching on Zoom now since uh, the world went Zoom um, back in March. But uh, I have 65 students right now, divided into two different classes. And my classes are all about trying to get people to connect, connect with me, connect with one another, connect with life. And um, one, I'm not in the field with my students because school's closed to a uh, live participation. And, um, and then when you have a Zoom screen that, um, that has like 25 faces on it, if everybody's even turning on their screen, which a lot of students still are not doing, and then you also have a page two because you know, the screen might only hold 25 and you gotta go to page two and see seven or so other faces. You know, how do you communicate with, with a group like that? And then I even shared it with my students today. Like, how can I, you know, how can I look them in the eye? You know, how to, you know, I have all these different people, um, you know, I, navigating Zoom is not something I want to really um, become a star at. And, uh, you know, so if somebody does speak, trying to go to the screen where I just see only their face, um, you know, it's just, it's just not, it's, that's not the way that I'm inclined to want to communicate. And I doubt that many others um, would, uh, you know, would, would feel that same, would, would, I, I assume others would agree with that outlook. And um, it's just, um, it's just like, it's amazing how, how the world has changed in a variety of ways over the last six months, but, but simple communication um, and specifically simple communication that involves, you know, something that if we're lucky enough to have 
eyes that function, something we th th and we take for granted, um, it's, it's totally different now. And so eyes really got me on a roll thinking about, you know, about communication, about connection, um, and, then, um, and then also about, you know, how, like, what other eyes out there do we, do we have connection with, or what other eyes out there serve as the connector between us and some other living being. You know, there's a, uh, you know, the, the expression make eyes, it's a, it, it's um, maybe specifically refers to flirting, but, uh, but I still tend to think like when you, like I always think of, you know, if, if you make eyes at somebody, you know, they're, they're, you're connecting through the eyes. There's some kind of, there, there's something there, you know, not every species is going to make eye to eye contact or connection like that. It's, it's a pretty cool expression. I looked it up. And um, I found out that uh, um, William Makepeace Thackeray wrote Henry Esmond in 1852. And according to one source I checked out, um, the first time that expression was used was in that work. And the quote from that is, she used to make eyes at the Duke of Marlborough. So, um, you know, how do, how do we make eyes um, with masks on, you know, I, I think lots of people have started relationships simply through making eyes at one another. Um, I would imagine that a like a decent um, amount of marriages maybe um, started out where the, you know there was the simple connection of of making eyes. Um, can you make eyes the same way if, if both of you have masks on? You know, if you don't if you don't have that added. Um, you know, guide as to like what's going on with the mouth based on what's going on with those eyes. Um, what's going on is is there like scrunching up going on around the nose there um, with what's going on with those eyes? You know, you can have an intense look. A lot of people think I'm angry all the time, and I'm really not. Um, I just kind of not a an, an avid smiler, and I frown a lot, and this and I got sensitive eyes on top of everything else, so I squint a lot. And uh, you know, right now, like. I I don't know if I look like a you know a, a like a, a bandit or a demon or something if if I'm out with a mask on and all people have are my squinty eyes to to gauge because you know they you know can they really tell whether there's there's a smile or kind of some benevolence underneath my mask um, it's just uh you know like you know how's flirting taking place now if two people are out and about and they and they both have their masks on um, let alone if you meet somebody and 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 you're doing it online um, you know. How, how easy is it to to make eyes on Zoom? Um, it's just a uh, it's 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 quite a different time. So I stepped back from all that, and I thought I want to just start getting more uh, connected with eyes specifically. So um, you know I I I've always been a noticer of just like you know of of the eyes of um of fish. I remember as a kid. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you like go somewhere and they put like a like a big uh, piece of white fish you know, with the whole fish on a on, on a platter, you know, and that black eye staring up at you. You know, I just remember like noticing that um, throughout my childhood when when, when you'd see that. Um, some people don't want to have a fish head on their on their plate. I can't blame them. I'd rather see a fish swimming around uh, um, than with a lifeless eye looking at me. Um, you know, but but even uh, a deceased fish's eye has beauty to me. I think they're, uh, you know, they're, e even in their still state, and a lot of people think that fish have dead eyes. I don't, I don't think they're nearly as expressive as some other animals, but, but um, 
as someone who has uh, kids that um, have fish tanks and we probably have, um, I don't know, like all told, like over a hundred fish of different sizes in, in our house, I get to see living fish eyes a lot. And, um, you know, they notice you, uh, even just go, go, um, go, you know, those, those little blue betas. Um, I have one on my desk. My daughter has one in her room. Um, they check you out. They got good eyes and they also like recognize you a little bit. You come into a room, the betas kind of, they can kind of sit there cause they got all these, uh, cool finny things at, at, at the lower part of their body coming in a room and they, they recognize you. They can, they can check you out. And if you look close, you can see the eyes of the beta. Um, you know, so really to me, all eyes are beautiful. They're all, you know, really cool works of wonder. Um, so I figured, let me start with my own eye. I've from time to time looked at it um, or them. Um, but this time I wanted to like really try to capture it. And at first I, you know, I, I'm staring in the mirror and um, I can only get so close, you know, such a close up, but, um, but it's kind of cool to do that. Um, I suggest that if you're near a mirror or, or, you, or you think of it afterwards, go check your, you know, pick an eye of, of, of your choice, your left or your right, check it out, really look closely at it. And then um, I tried to use a 10 times magnifier and I didn't and, and look in a mirror and it just doesn't, it, I couldn't really get a, a, a good close up. Then I, but then I thought, oh, you know, the old simple iPhone camera is, is um, pretty handy. And so I, um, I basically first learned that if you want to get a good picture of your eye, don't do the, the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The face, um, what's, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. On what, oh, a selfie. Sorry, I was going to say facey. Huh. Um, don't take a selfie of your eye. I mean, you can. But it's hard to, um, you can't, at least on my camera, you can uh, really like um, get, get, get real close up with it. And um, so then I finally realized I went to a well-lit room that was that, where the sun was shining in. And then I took my camera and kind of lined it up where I thought my, it would be um, direct across from my eye. I actually had the benefit of some reflection in my, in my case. And, um, and, uh, and then I, I, I started to take some, some shots then I was able to even do it at like two times magnification. And then I got myself some good, uh, some good images of, 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 you know, one of my eyes. And then, uh, and then I just kind of like, you know, study those images. And, I, and what's cool on, a, you know, on the iPhone camera, you can really like, you know, you can, you can look at it, but then you can even look closer. And um, you know what, if I do say so myself, I think I have a beautiful, uh, um, I think I was looking at my left eye. Um, I think it qualifies as beautiful. Um, I, again, I, I don't, I haven't found an eye I don't like. Um, but, uh, you know, on my driver's license, it says I have blue eyes. And, you know, it's really just a piece of the story. Um, and then as I, as I look closely at my eye, there's definitely shades of blue in it. Um, but it's really a fascinating thing. There, there's, there's a starburst of yellow around, the, uh, around my pupil. And then that kind of in a veiny kind of format. I have like yellow, like um, radiating out into other parts of um, of my eye. I noticed for the first time that there's like a, a gray area um, that kind of encircles my black pupil. Um, I also have a variety without any kind of pattern to them of flecks that I think back to my Crayola crayon days is kind of like sienna. And it's the sienna that sort of has like an orange in it, right? There was raw sienna and burnt sienna, I think. Um, uh, but maybe there was just one Sienna, but it's um, kind of like an, or like an orangey, some, some brown with life. And I got those flecks in it. And, you know, I just kept playing around, like looking, you know, looking for patterns. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to have that, that toy called the Spirograph. Um, it, you know, 
I think there were really great simple pleasures in the uh, 60s and 70s um, where toys were concerned. And that was this funky thing where you could just kind of put these uh, little plastic discs in and put your pen or your pencil in it. And next thing you know, you made yourself like some kaleidoscopic um, image um, and you felt like you were like, you know, this amazing artist. And But there's like some spirograph um, memories. I haven't thought of spirographs, you know, probably in 30 years. Um, but I but I could see some spirograph happening in my own eye. So um, then I then I think that a, a good next step, which I did, and I advise you to do the same. You know, what are the eyes that are around you in your life um, that you can check out? And certainly, you can check out the humans in your life. You know, ask them to open their eyes and and, and really you know see what they're all about. Um, I um I went beyond that, and I you know I wanted to. Uh, kind of get it, um, closer to understanding um, how much connection takes place through my eyes and the eyes of some of our pets at home. Um, you know, I, I started with Molly because I think um, she's my dog and she's pretty sensitive and um, the cats don't really seem to be that sensitive. So, um, so I feel like Molly makes eyes at me all the time. I can't tell if it's just out of plain hunger. Molly's not a super bright dog. She's very sweet. Um, but I really got to know her eyes in the, over the last few days. Um, and they're like a, a really nice deep shade of brown. And it's really, and she's a black and white dog. So it's really um, basically the only other color um, that, uh, that you get to see other than like the pink of her belly or something. But, um, but when, you're, when you're looking at her, you know, the, the, that even though they're a dark brown, you know, there's some, there's some color there. And I do, and, and so I start like moving around, you know, moving my face and stuff. And, and, and I, I kind of feel like we're holding each other's gaze. Um, also, um, you know, there's one thing about when you have a pet that just has a thing for you and you, sometimes you can't even figure out why. Um, nobody loves me like my dog does. I mean, that's unrequited love. She, um, you know, uh, I'm not that great to her, um, but it's just funny, like compared to everyone else in the family, um, I can do no wrong with her. But, uh, but, it, was, but it, it was an added treat for me to get more and more familiar with her eyes. And she didn't really know what I was doing, but I actually think she appreciated it. Because like, like, here I am, I don't always show her the attention that she wants. And I really, like, um, she probably, you know, again, might have, she's, she's really, as, as she's becoming middle-aged, she's doing this thing where she's like, all of a sudden, like, is doing a hunger strike and she won't eat, like, you know, the dog food that we regularly give her. And I, I think she thinks I'm either going to give her a tasty biscuit or add some cheese to her, her stuff. So I know there's some calculation in there. Is he thinking about getting me a biscuit and playing that game? He usually does. But, you know, I don't know. Um, dogs have a lot of emotion. Um, there's been books written about it. But I, I, I definitely believe I have really cool connection with my dog. And a lot of it takes place, um, you know, between our eyes. You know, so then I have three cats. And, um, you know, they're tougher than the dog, um, you know, because they, all three of them, they could be loving, but it's only when they want to. The most loving of the three is Poppy. Um, he's this rescue Siamese mix. Um, he has flat out gorgeous eyes because of the Siamese that's in him. You know, his outer eyes are just ice blue. Um, it's real hard to make eyes at him. I mean, if you, whenever he gets like in a, in a face, or what do you call it? Like a, you know, a, maybe a little bit of amorous mood. It's more that he wants to headbutt you and, and, and nuzzle against you and stuff. So to try to, you know, and sometimes I'm, oh, he'll be lying there. I'm like, hey, Pop. And, you know, and, and so I was able to, I, I felt like I maybe made some basic eye connection with Poppy. 
but I at least do have like a new, even deeper appreciation for his eyes because they're, I mean, they're gorgeous. I mean, they would make um, wonderful models for, uh, for uh, glass blowers in Venice to make some really cool marbles out of. And then, um, and then uh, there's Penelope, um, Penny for short. And she's the white cat from Southwest Philly that was rescued right near uh, um, Bartram's garden. And, uh, and, and a former employee of mine guilted me into taking her because she, um, she was scrawny. She already had one litter. But, but she's been with us now a good seven years or something like that. She's a pretty crafty cat. And, I, and, and then I, I, I really hadn't looked that closely at her eyes. And um, I sometimes do feel that we make eyes. Penny and I, and she's the most aloof of my three cats. Um, and they're, and they're this like nice light green. Like, so it's, it's just, uh, it's a diff it's a way different shade from, from poppies. But, um, but I do think there's eye connection there. But then I, I checked out good old Otis. Otis is over 17 years old and is definitely senile. Um, he sometimes just like walks somewhere and then forgets where he was going and, and just kind of meows. So that stuff's going on. Plus he's losing um, uh, strength in his back legs. So, so um, Otis is, uh, you know, he's been the, the, the most loving cat for a bunch of years, a, a lot of years. Um, uh, he's kind of uh, enjoying the twilight years. But I, I, I actually assumed his eyes were going to be kind of lifeless because of his senility and stuff. And, um, but I got, a, I got a chance to kind of, he like let me look at him and he, and, 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 um, and he has um, kind of like the, the flex of my eyes. His eyes are like, I, I really thought before I looked at Otis's eyes, they were going to be dark brown, with, like with black in the middle. And um, I was wrong. They're a life-filled brown color, like a lightish brownish green um, and with a little bit of like rust in them. And so I, I, was, uh, I was thrilled to like kind of just discover that, um, that, that, that my cat Otis, his eyes are not like, and by the way, he's 17. None of that cloudy eye thing at all. Um, I, knew, I didn't think he had that because I would have noticed that. Um, but, uh, that's a sad thing when you start notice your pet getting, you know, getting that happening. So then I, um, moved away from the mammals that, that, that we have in the home. And, um, we have this really wonderful, uh, tortoise, um, kids call him tortwig. I don't know. It might be a she, um, it's a red foot tortoise. And so, um, and, and uh, who's gotten pretty big. I, I, I bought him for my son. Now my daughter, um, has him in a room and now we actually have to like build a new big um, enclosure for her because um, I, she's like just growing big and, and she could get really like big um, if, and, and live to be like 80 or something. But uh, now she's like definitely past the small stage. And, um, and she definitely acts like a pet who knows you. She knows like, you know, cause she, she hangs out a lot in like these little shaded structures and stuff, but you come in, she comes out. And so I was, um, she let me, you know, I, I picked her up. And I, and I just, um, you know, she stuck her head out of her shell. At first, when I would like kind of like, you know, carefully put my finger around her face, she'd withdraw her face a little bit into the shell. But then she, um, but then she let me pet her literally between the eyes, like right on the bridge of the nose. And, um, and I would do some things where I kind of like move my head around. And, you know, she's a reptile. And, uh, and there, there's some pretty good eye contact that, that, that we made. Her eyes, they're black but they're like, a, they have a glisten to them. So they're not like, at first, I, I, when I predicted what I thought her eyes were gonna look like, I thought it was gonna be more of a matte black. You know, a lot of people think, oh, reptiles, fish, lifeless. And it's not so, they're, 
there's and, and also she she blinks and she blinks from the bottom lid up um and uh and i got to see her you know she was blinking for me and um you know it was it was pretty cool and 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 as i held her it can't be comfortable to be to, sus to be suspended in the hand of a human um i don't think they really love that um but uh but she was doing pretty good and um and i and i thought we we th there was some really good connection there and um and i know that she knows who we are like cuz uh we let her out on the grass she's a you know um you know she'll she love you know she'll love to just kind of get some sun and you know and munch on the uh just like you know dandelion leaves and whatever's around in the grass um so she you know she's definitely acclimated to um to me and my and my daughter um but uh but it was it was fascinating because um we definitely like you know like i didn't want to overstay my welcome but you know we were like moving our necks around and 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 but it was all around the eyes and i kind of thought there was going to be no no eye to eye connection whatsoever but um but but it was there and she does sometimes in you know when she you know when you turn her light on like we keep a warm light in there all the time but um you know you, you like you see her waking up um you, you know she loves to like take baths and stuff if you give her a, if you put a thing of water in there and um you know but but um you know there's depth like this is not a, this is a creature that has some feeling um and uh and by the way creatures uh, um have way more feeling than 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 humans like can even begin to to understand right now finally i am um, decided to go into the basement where we and, and uh we have um lots of other uh reptiles um uh to choose from too um our geckos like our crested gecko has really cool eyes but uh I, and i wanted to just kind of you know um switch to one other um you know family of vertebrate and so we uh so i went downstairs where we have um our axolotl and an axolotl is a fascinating cool prehistoric looking salamander creature um it's one who lives uh his or her whole life you know in 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 the water not not a not a land dweller and um rex is is the name of our uh, axolotl and our axolotl i i don't you know we've had him for years um i don't i should i i didn't look up what the how by the way they're endangered it's a shame um you can buy him where they're captive bred um but uh and I don't even know how old he is because I remember when my son was was pretty small. We met some guy at, like near Allentown or something on the road um, who had like listed on Craigslist or something his axolotl that he was getting rid of. I remember it was like we were doing a drug deal in a parking lot, but instead it was an axolotl and some other reptile. I think it was part of the deal, and you know gave him his fifty bucks or whatever. So I don't even know how old Rex was way back then. Um, has to and that has to have been like ten years eight years ago something like that and so um you know i don't know how old he is but they can live pretty long but um but they also like live you know in, in, on river bottoms and stuff so they don't they, they probably don't use their eyes for a lot of uh um for a lot of what they need to do um as as often is the case with animals but he has these eyes that almost look like they're they're not real they're they're, they're these little dots of like turquoise and i don't know if it's because he has some kind of an issue um but uh they are really a cool color which can't make eyes at him. Um, you know, you, you can feed him, and he can, you know, and and he can figure out where his food is. But he's, um, you know, he's not one that's uh, that's going to go look at you. Um, but still, um, pretty interesting. Small eyes. Um, but uh, but as we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, you know, the size and the uh, and and the uh, precision of eyes have a lot to do with the development of of animals. 
Um, so um, when I, I um, earlier this week, I uh, had a neat connection with a, uh, with a squirrel. Um, if you heard my uh, podcast on squirrels from a few weeks ago, um, you know I'm intrigued by them. Well, uh, one must have known that I was going to be doing a podcast on eyes. I was walking to the park the other day, and on, on a street I was walking on, um, sure enough, um, sitting on top of a fence post, there was this squirrel. And um, so I, got to, I, was, I was within a matter of a few feet of the squirrel. Um, about three, three and a half, four feet from the fence post, there happened to be a, a telephone pole. And so I stop and I look at the squirrel. He's sitting on his hind legs, looking at me at the top of this post. And for a time at, at my distance, we, it was beautiful. We got to look at each other. And I really do feel that, that squirrels check you out. Um, you know, they, they, they check out, can they trust you and all that. But I definitely felt, you know, like they, they, I think squirrels have eager eyes. And so, um, so I looked at him and then when I felt like I had my fill of connecting, I, you know, I couldn't refrain. I wanted, I was curious how close I could get to him. So I took a couple steps forward and sure enough, um, but it was very cool how he did this. He, he jumped um, easily right to the, uh, to the creosote covered um, telephone pole. And then he didn't run up the pole. He kind of stayed at the same level that he and I, that, that our eyes were basically at, checked me out. He went down a, a, the, the pole a little bit and squirrels have this uncanny ability to climb headfirst down a tree or down a telephone pole. Um, not many animals can, can do that. And, um, and he checked me out and, um, and I finally, I passed on and I let him go and you know, you know, mentally thanked him for the, uh, for the occasion. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if it was that same day or a day later, I was in my neighborhood and um, I got close to a deer. Uh, deer are very frequent visitors to my neighborhood. And I was, I, was, I was, you know, trying to do my connecting with the deer. And I've done this before. Deer, you know, bigger brain, um, just a bigger animal than the squirrels. They check you out or they check me out. But, I, but they don't, I don't, I don't, I feel like there's way more like, human to animal connection between me and a squirrel than, than there is between me and a deer. And, um, you know, for whatever reason that is, um, it, they, that's just, you know, that's just the sense that I get. So the, uh, you know, the deer connection, um, I just can't say that I'm feeling it. I kind of feel like they're there to munch the, um, you know, the, the grass. I'm, I'm not, uh, they might munch some grass, the, the plants that everybody has on their landscape. Um, they make themselves at home. They 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 now know that um you know they're we're not going to do anything to them at least in my neighborhood. Um, they're bright as can be. Um, I I admire them. Um, I also think I, I made me when I was thinking about them earlier today. I re, I remember that you know the, the, I think about the resilience of animals at, as we um, continue to mess up our world around us. And I thought back to um. When I was young, I read the, the Stand by Stephen King. I don't, I haven't read much by Stephen King. Um, my and by the way, the Stand was interesting, but I, I never like thought it was the greatest book in the world. I much preferred The Body, um, which is a short little novel that uh, that he wrote, I think, as Richard Bachman. And um, he and, and that's that's what uh, Stand by Me, the movie, um, which makes me cry every time I see it. Beautiful story. That's like you know, that's a that's a story by Stephen King that that really resonates with me but I remembered in the stand um, stand in the stand and it's, it's a good probably a really good read given the times of COVID um, 
you know, the world gets wiped out by some virus. And, um, you know, and then those that are immune to the virus, you know, are starting over and there's mysticism and all that kind of stuff in the second half of the book, which I think really lost me. Um, I was real more fascinated when they were walking through the Lincoln Tunnel in the dark, climbing over cars and dead bodies and the like. But anyway, um, I remember like chuckling even before I became an ecologist, because this was way back, um, that, that one of the things that didn't die from the, whatever the strain of virus was that hit, hit everybody and everything were deer. They, you know, some characters are out walking, I, maybe it was in Maine or something. And sure enough, there was a big deer staring out at the person. So, I mean, and maybe Stephen King really had a sense about, you know, the, the ingenuity of deer. But that all said, for bright animals that really are very, very not social in that they, they don't necessarily want to hang with us, like a squirrel could be your pet if you, uh, if you, if you train one from, uh, you know, from a baby. Um, but uh, but the, de the deer connection um, via the eyes just wasn't happening for me. You know, I've thought a lot about, because I've been someone who's always like noted, noticed eyes, um, I have some ideas for, uh, for characters that I've invented and, I, and I've, you know, and off and on, I'm always looking for an illustrator. And, uh, and when I think about, you know, if I'm, you know, wh what do I wanna see um, in, in, in the work of an illustrator is I wanna see how they render eyes when they, you know, when they, when they illustrate. And um, like, I have some ideas for some animal characters and I want them to have eyes that express themselves. And so, um, yes, I'm throwing some uh, human stuff, some anthropomorphism into the mix there when I think about that. But, um, but I, you know, I think that eyes are such a powerful form of communication that if I'm going to have like characters that are going to like um, try to uh, entreat people to, um, you know, care more about nature and stuff, I want the eyes to kind of like support that entreaty. And, uh, and so, um, so I started thinking about, I actually didn't even have to think. Um, I'm someone who were, you know, certain cartoons of the yester, of yesteryear have made way much more of an impact on me than any kind of modern animation. And, um, you know, I, when I find like a, a film that has animation and there seems to be really, you know, well-rendered eyes, I get excited about that, but it doesn't, it doesn't like, I don't see that really at all. And um, there was an episode, I had to look up to find what the title was, but there was an episode that I, of, of Bugs Bunny that, you know, I'll periodically just kind of play it out um, from time to time just because it just cracks me up. And I think it was, uh, I just loved it. Um, there's several. I'm, I'm definitely like a Warner Brothers uh, kind of person. Um, but uh, in 1956, there, there, was a, there was a cartoon short, um, Warner Brothers cartoon, and it was called Broomstick Bunny. And, um, and by the way, this concerns eyes. So, um, so if you've ever seen this cartoon or not, you know, the, the, the premise isn't that important for the purposes of my, uh, my eye discussion, but um, he's out trick-or-treating, he has a mask on, and um, he comes upon this house, and the house happens to be that of Witch Hazel, and Witch Hazel is a witch, and um, she invites him in, and uh, invites him to sit down for some tea, and at some point, um, he takes his mask off, and then she realizes that he's a rabbit. And then she um, checks something out, and she realizes that this potion that she's been brewing, um, the last ingredient, apparently, that it, that it requires is the clavicle of a, of a uh, bunny or a rabbit. And so um, she realizes 
the opportunities she has. She chases him around. She ends up cornering him, and then she ends up tying up poor old Bugs Bunny. So she, she has this cauldron brewing or boiling. Um, she ties up Bugs. Um, his ears are kind of back. And then she goes to sharpen this knife-like thing. It's, it's like a chopping knife or something. It's like rectangular, but it looks even in cartoon um, images that you could tell it's a sharp thing. Um, so she go gets, she gets that ready. She's all excited. She, and I, oh, she says, she says something like, um, Ooh, she sharpens her knife and she goes, Oh, this is sharp enough to split a hair. And then she goes, split a hair. That's so funny. And she like cracks up. So typical, um, Warner brothers humor. So then she goes over to bugs. She lifts with two hands, the, um, the chopper, the knife thing, um, behind her back all ready to strike. She looks at bugs. Um, Warner Brothers was always good with its like orchestral music. Sad violins start playing. Bugs looks at her and he makes these big eyes at her. And then her, her eyes, they, they change. And they actually like in animation, they, she, her, eye and her, her eyes and her expression change. And then the water starts coming out of his eyes. So he starts, you know, tearing. And Witch Hazel, bursts into tears she just um just like goes she goes away she buries her head in her arms and and she starts like crying and then bug is, is over there sitting and, he's, and he says something like what's the matter dearie and hazel like in, in, in a crying voice she goes you remind me of paul and bugs goes paul and hazel goes my pet tarantula and um but that which just to me like i'll never forget that dialogue you know compared to any Shakespeare dialogue um this is the one that's gonna like resonate and stay with me um probably you know till the day I die but um now I also thought about tarantulas they have like eight eyes but I don't think they're really good with uh with with vision um they're they got hairs and stuff they got other senses that uh that, that they utilize but but back to that 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 scene um if you look at Bugs's eyes and you can find like a clip of this on YouTube um they're really expressive and they they would make you want to cry if, if you saw him he, you, you really get you feel sad for this like this cartoon image and um you know so again like even on old-fashioned 1950s cells or whatever they made um out of you know into cartoons um you, you know the, the power of the eyes that's what saved bugs's life and um you know and you know rather than um being thrown dead into that cauldron so uh you know eyes can really stay etched in your memory so I, I wanted to like look into a couple other things that um that that really uh I, where the eyes kind of stand out, and so um, the first thing that I wanted to check into was um, one one of the most curious creatures of all is is the octopus, and um you know the octopus is such 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 a curious animal because um. Octopuses are really, really smart. They show um, as much intelligence as, as actually some mammals. And um, they're just capable of all kinds of connection with, with people, with others, with themselves. And they're, they're so complex that, that scientists really don't, or they're, they're nowhere near having figured out the mysteries of, of the octopus. And um, it's not unusual to have a fascinating um, animal. I mean, it, it's... I, I think one of the saddest things to do is to go to the zoo. Um, you look at the, uh, you know, you look at an orangutan or chimp, 
um, you know, they're behind glass or they're, you know, they're in an enclosure somewhere. And um, I mean, talk about making eyes at, at, at something. I might feel terrible for them, you know, they're, uh, but they, they look at you and they're, they're just checking you out and they're, they're like expressing oodles and oodles of feeling through their eyes. And you do that and you're in awe of it. But you also know that like, hey, you know, they're, 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 we're, we're them, you know, they're us, they're, they're primates, so are we. Um, uh, it's fascinating, um, but, uh, but they're way high up on the uh, evolutionary ladder, um, not too far from ourselves. The octopus is entirely different. The octopus is an invertebrate. Um, it's in a family um, called mollusks, and everybody is familiar with mollusks. Many people eat them on the half shell. I mean, an oyster, a clam, a mussel, th these are mollusks. And then there's cephalopods like um, octopuses and squid and cuttlefish, um, but uh, that, that are, but they're still mollusks. They're still closely related to clams. Clams don't even have a brain, I don't think. Um, the, uh, the, but the octopus um, is, is, is a creature that exhibits all kinds of, not just intelligence, but, but connection. And so um, it's like, and I know that, and I, I've known that before. So, and I also know that they have big, beautiful eyes. And so um, I have a, a very, um, neat book called The Soul of an Octopus. And, uh, and the subtitle is very interesting, A Surprising Exploration into the Wonder of Consciousness. It's by Cy Montgomery. And just, I wanted to read a couple excerpts from, from the book um, it, it, where she kind of talks about how she got into this. And then just a couple things, she doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the eyes of an octopus, um, but the eyes of an octopus are very evolved and so are the, uh, the neurons, the, uh, you know, the receptors that they have on their tentacles. And so um, that's another thing where, you know, just like, you know, it, with us, it's not necessarily all about vision and how we sense and, and, and make decisions. But, um, you know, th there's, there, it, there are ways that you can almost make the case that, that, um, that what's going on in the, in the uh, neurons of a tentacle um, can, are, is actually like an extension of, of, uh, of the vision um, process of an octopus, but that's not my focus. My focus is more on, on things about connection. But uh, but um, in, in in her initial chapter, there's just a couple sentences that um that 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 are interesting um, where she kind of like lays out like why she was doing what what uh you know what you know why she wanted to write a book about um about octopuses um you know so she starts out saying that uh and she's talking a little bit and then she says most fascinating of all. I had read that octopuses are smart. This bore out what scan experience I had already had. Like many who visit octopuses in public aquariums, I've often had the feeling that the octopus I was watching was watching me back with an interest as keen as my own. How could that be? It's hard to find an animal more unlike a human than an octopus. Their bodies are not organized like ours. We go head body limbs. They go body head limbs. Their mouths are in their armpits, or if you prefer to liken their arms to our lower instead of upper extremities, between their legs. They breathe water. Their appendages are covered with dexterous, grasping suckers, a structure for which no mammal has an equivalent. And not only are octopuses on the opposite side of the great vertebral divide that separates the backbone creatures, such as mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish from everything else, 
They're classed within the invertebrates as mollusks, as are slugs and snails and clams, animals that are not particularly renowned for their intellect. Clams don't even have brains. More than half a billion years ago, the lineage that would lead to octopuses and the one leading to humans separated. Was it possible, I wondered, to reach another mind on the other side of that divide? And what she says about, about, the, uh, you know, about lineage, um, eyes of, of, of humans and eyes of octopus, um, they definitely, they, they, they evolve without, there, there's no um, genetic linkage, there's, there's, there's no evolutionary linkage between the two. The, the, the critter that, which is like, you know, where the branch went out, where um, the animals that, that led to the, um, you know, to the speciation of octopus versus what led to the speciation of homo sapiens, us, um, it was a critter that didn't even have eyes. So like, so like, so the fact that, that, that eyes of humans and eyes of octopuses are, are pretty closely similar in a lot of their functionality um, and structure, um, it's, it, it's just, uh, it, it, it's, it's parallel evolution kind of a thing. So later on, she's talking about, um, you know, a, a specific uh, encounter that she's having um, with, uh, you know, with, with, like she's actually, um, this is like, you know, in the middle part of the book. Um, and she's, and she's, uh, she's gotten to know, um, you know, different uh, octopuses. Um, so there's just a, an excerpt out of there that, that also talks about, um, it picks up on that evolution thing um, and gives you a little bit more idea about the eyes of the octopus. So here she's saying, but like our eyes, our brain and the octopus brain arrive at their complexity by different routes. The, com the common ancestor of humans and octopuses, a primitive tube-shaped creature, lies so deeply embedded in the prehistoric past that neither brains nor eyes had yet evolved. Still, the octopus eye and our own are strikingly similar. Both have lens-based focusing with transparent corneas irises that regulate light and retinas in the back of the eye to convert light to neural signals that can be processed in the brain. Yet there are differences. The octopus eye, unlike our own, can detect polarized light. It has no blind spot. Our optic nerve attaches to the back of the eye at the retina, creating our blind spot. The octopus's optic nerve circles around the outside of the retina. Our eyes are binocular, directed forward for seeing what's ahead of us, our usual direction of travel. The octopus's wide-angle eyes are adapted to pa panoramic vision, and each eye can swivel independently like a chameleon's. Our visual acuity can extend beyond the horizon. An octopus can only see about eight feet away. So lots and lots of similarities um, biologically um, between the, our eyes and the eyes of an octopus, and yet, you know, go figure, like, n like we just have no relation whatsoever, almost, um, you know, to these very, on the, again, um, you know, like low down the uh, evolutionary scale animals. Um, she then, you know, she now, if I, if this book is all about her getting intimate with octopuses and, um, you know, and, and the amazing, uh, the, the amazing connections that can be made and um, which is, which really is a subject unto itself. Um, not a lot of discussion specifically on the eyes, but there was a section um, that, uh, where, where, she, where she was talking um, you know, about that. And, um, and here, um, let me uh, find that. I just, it just slipped away from me. Um, that uh, where, where this um, octopus really, uh, 
really made, um, you know, made a connection with her. Um, and so uh, let me, uh, I knew there was one more bookmark that I needed to put into this thing. Um, okay, here, good, got it, page 68. So um, she's with, she's with a, a captive um, octopus named Callie um, with a guy named Wilson. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, in, 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 in an aquarium somewhere. Um, and Callie is a young octopus. So this is in the midst of that encounter um, where they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're getting involved with, uh, with Callie. We offer Callie our hands and arms and she latches on with eager suckers. You can almost feel her interest in the strong grip of her, of her, of her suction as if she is eagerly reading us by using an octopus braille system. And she wants to see us as well as taste us. As her arms snake up over ours into the air, she lifts her head and eyes out of the water to look at us. The slits of her pupils always remain horizontal, no matter what position she is in, cued by balance receptors called statocysts. These sac-like structures are lined with sensory hairs and equipped with small mineralized balls that shift inside the statocyst in response to motion and gravity. But the always horizontal pupil can change dramatically in thickness. Under the bright light, you would think her pupils would be small, but now they are open wide like a person's when excited or in love. Wilson hands her a fish, but she passes it away from her mouth. I find this astonishing in a rapidly growing young animal. Apparently her appetite for food is exceeded by her appetite for interaction. Callie wants to climb up our arms. Her glistening muscular arm tips curl over my forearm and my elbow and touch the cotton fabric of my shirt sleeve. Gently, we pry away her suckers and urge her back into the water, but she grips us anew. And so there's, it, that's a beautiful scene. And you know, like, like this octopus and others, and there's, there's this book, but other books have, have talked about encounters like this. The octopus is, is, is connecting with the humans, the eyes are a big part of that connection, and um, you know, and then it's just uh, again, it's just think about what th think about that it's the cousin of a clam, and um, you know, try to do that with you know, try to do that with with you know, ha have that like you know, I can't have that kind of relationship with my cats, and um, it's just a you know, when you when you think of the wonder of like how can an invertebrate be so intelligent. So then it gets a little philosophical here. So she's, um, you know, later in the book, she's, um, she's talking to this philosopher guy that she knows. So um, she's sharing some of her amazing experiences with this guy, and, and I'll pick up right there. She goes, I relate my conversations with Peter Godfrey Smith, the philosopher who spends his summers diving around Sydney Harbor among giant cuttlefish and octopus. He describes these encounters as, quote, like meeting an intelligent alien. Like humans, the Cephs, which is short for cephalopod, he met were intelligent and aware. Um, but look at all those neurons in the arms, he said. They may have a radically different style of psychological organization from us. Perhaps in octopus, we see intelligence without a centralized self. If you have the design of an octopus, Peter asked, is there a sense of self at all, a center of experience? If not, that involves imagining something so different from us, it might be impossible to think of. If there is no central consciousness, does an octopus have a quote, 
collaborative, cooperative, but distributed mind, as Peter suggests? Does it have a sense of multiple selves? Does each arm literally have a mind of its own? And so the book goes on um, because octopuses are fascinating because they're, they're, their nervous systems are so highly evolved in their, in their actual arms that their arms can actually behave as almost as if they're separate entities. So it's, again, it's fascinating. It gets us away from the eye stuff, but, um, but, you know, the, but there's so much that as humans, we just aren't aware of. And I always think about like humans, like, you know, we think, oh, it's just, it's just an animal. They don't, they don't feel any pain. They don't have any feeling. Um, they don't have any emotions. And it's just flat out not true. Um, and, but, but it's flat out not true all the way down the line. Um, there's a great book called um, What a Plant Knows. And I don't, I'm not here to tell you that a plant has, has emotions, but plants actually have all the senses that we do in a, in, a, in a way. A plant doesn't have a brain, so you can't start talking about you know, whether it feels anything when you cut its leaves off, but it actually, but it has an amazing um, set of parallels to our own senses. Um, but on the animal side of things, do not assume that there's no connection just because an animal has a tiny little brain, uh, as I'm going to like illustrate as I, as I close my, um, my discussion this evening. But, it's, um, but this is just, this stuff, it really, it, it, it ought to make us think a lot. You know, that, that um, like we're aware based on how we're aware. It's just like, you know, we, we get all excited when we see water on another planet or, or signs of water on another planet. Because we can only contemplate life in, 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 the, uh, in the presence of water. So, um, so humans can't conceive of a, of a life form where, um, you know, where, where water isn't you know, you know, at, at its core. Um, but does that mean that there are no other life forms that are, you know, that where you know, maybe we don't, they don't breathe oxygen there and, and water's not, you, know, you, you don't need water for the essence of life in these places. So we only know what we know. But, um, but as far as consciousness goes, remember that the subtitle of this book, A Surprising Exploration into the Wonder of Consciousness. Um, like, who would think that this, 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 um, you know, this critter that has no backbone, it has a thing called a mantle, I remember. It's like an inner shell. Um, it's not even, I think it's even more cartilage than, uh, than, than actual bone um, is what this octopus has. And yet it has personality. It has feelings. It, 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 it checks things out. It can learn. It does all these things and it has an amazingly evolved eye. And so re re regarding that, uh, I found this just this uh, cool little um, blog called Octolab. And um, I just, uh, th 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 there's a lot of information about, you know, the science behind octopuses on it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just, um, you know, really interesting stuff, but, um, but, but, on, on, this, uh, on this little um, website, Octolab, I think it's octolab.tv, uh, the, the, the author of, 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 um, of, of the information really makes some interesting, uh, um, you know, observations about, um, about, about octopuses and also what this, this ability to see. So there's just a small part that I want to share with you. Um, in animals possessing the ability to see, the more developed that ability is, the more it contributes further stimulating additional advances in their brain development. It can lead to more complex coordination with other senses, which in turn further advance the performance of the brain. You see, seeing is much more than just seeing, it's about being. 
In the case of octopuses, with only a cursory look at their eyes, you can sense the vibe of the individual octopus. Much like looking into the eyes of a person, a dog or a cat, the eyes of an octopus exude a sense of being. Some would describe it as a palpable form of self-consciousness. That is why people who handle and care for octopuses in aquariums are quick to describe the individual octopuses that they care for in terms of their personality. They, be they begin to discern individual expressions from the octopus merely by how they are looking at them. No matter how close you are to a goldfish, you'll never get that sense of bonding from how they look at you. And then he goes on and he talks about some other stuff and then he, and then he closes this, uh, this little piece um, with, with the following um, couple sentences. Whether their amazing vision is the result of having a powerful brain neurology, or if that very brain neurology is a result of having such a versatile and effective form of vision, the result is the same. In the octopus, we have an animal that is able to connect with its world with amazing ingenuity. And so think about that. It's, it's, a, it's a cool, um, one of those vicious cycle kind of things, but in a, in a cool way. What, what, what this author is suggesting is that animals that have really powerful or well-developed vision, the vision has actually aided their evolution. It's, a, it's aided their ability to, to survive in life. And, and I'm going to say, you know, to kind of like figure things out. And, um, and that's, and, and, and that's that you could see that. And, and, and even in that little passage I read from Simon Montgomery's book, you know, the, I just picture that the octopus, right, you know, lifts her head out of the water, um, you know, focuses her eyes on these couple of humans that are, that are there. And then all of a sudden makes that connection. And, you know, like over time was the octopus exactly as smart as it is now or have eyes or have these, these, these amazing eyes led to an advance, you know, in it's, in, in basically it's, um, you know, it, it, it's uh, mental functioning, um, you know, or is it the other way around? But, um, but either way, there, there, there's quite a cool connection at play there. And so I got in, so that got me into thinking about my last, um, my, my last encounter that I need to share. And, um, and this is something to, to note um, for all of you. Right now, praying mantises are, um, the, the, the adults are out and about. So if you live anywhere near some weeds, some plants, just look around. Um, if you have, you know, it, it, like check your screens out, check your windows out. Um, like, like I know there's one behind me. It's gotten dark. Um, he's on my Rudbeckia, my, one of my black eyed Susan plants. And he's been hanging out there with me during this whole podcast. I got a gazillion shots of him. But uh, I know that praying mantises have amazing eyes. And I purpose, to, I, other than just checking quickly out a little bit of facts about their vision, um, I, I want to like take that out of the discussion. And so um, the, the, the praying mantis has a really well-developed um, set of eyes. Praying mantis actually has five eyes. And if you look at the, at the head of a praying mantis, you see these two gargantuan eyes. Um, if you look closely kind of between the eyes and above like, you know, what we, we would call the nose area, um, there's three other small dots and, then, and there's small eyes that aid in like, um, like light reception, I believe. Um, the focusing and, and, and vision, you know, the true vision stuff takes place with the two big eyes of the praying mantis. And I knew in the, when I knew I was gonna do this podcast, I was just like desperate to, to, to see um, praying mantises. 
And then I've been blessed because um, they've just been like visiting my house like friendly neighbors um, the last week or so. And so what you do with a praying mantis is you go out and you make eyes at that thing. And so just if you have any like trepidation about it, just know that praying mantises, they don't want to come after you and attack you. Um, they're not really that good at it. They're better lying in wait, waiting for like a yellow jacket or something to come by. And they're like precision hunters. They just, um, I remember spending hours just with, with a camera and next to it, my, one of my col just weedy Canada goldenrods out back. And this praying mantis, um, praying mantises have, you know, beautiful colors of either green or brown or a mix. Um, they, their wings kind of look like slender leaves. So they have this um, amazing camouflage and they can just like lie along the stem of a plant near a flower waiting for pollinators to come and, uh, you know, suck some nectar, or eat some pollen out of the, uh, out of a flower. And then when they get within, you know, a praying arm's length, they just strike. And then they have these powerful jaws and then they just, they are like eating machines. They will just, you know, yellow jacket, munch, um, you know, a couple of ants come by, munch, a fly comes by, munch, honeybee, same thing. They just, they're, they're they don't discriminate. They, they, they in, within striking distance, but you as a human getting up close to them, what's really cool about a praying mantis is they don't go away. They're not good flyers anyway. They're kind of like, you know, they, they're, they're clumsy flyers. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of big animals, even like a bear, they don't, they mostly they'll, they'll see a human and they'll scurry off. But, but the, but a praying mantis holds his or her ground. And, and then also they're, they're cool because they'll sometimes they'll prop themselves up and make themselves look even bigger, which kind of works, um, for, you know, um, and keeps them from being eaten by a lot of critters. They get scared off. Um, but it really just holds its ground. But the, the part I want you to focus on when you do this is they check you out big time. Their eyes are just stellarly fascinating. They have these, um, you can see their pupils. You can take it with a cell phone camera. You can get a close up of these things and then you can blow it up even more at your leisure. But so if a praying mantis is looking straight at you, move to the right. And then, and then that praying mantis will move its head, I guess, correspondingly to, to its left. You know what? Go back center. You watch that head follow you. Go to the left. You're going to see, they, they literally, like, I, there's, you know, try to do that with your dog sometimes. They literally follow you with their eyes. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, and you can do it, if you're like me, you could do it for a really long time. Um, they, I also got hooked in with this praying mantis who's like behind me right now, um, who's like my new bud. Um, I, I, he was not really liking that I was getting such close-ups of him or her. And so he was like, he, he would kind of like step away. He'd like fall a little bit and catch himself. It was like slow motion falling. So I have these shots of his underbelly. I, so because of my connection with his eyes, um, I, you, like they're, uh, below their head on their underside is this pink. I got to check it out later on and really go into it um, because this, it's not anything to do with the eyes. But it's quite a structure, the body of the praying mantis, you know, you, you, you see them around, they're big, they're cool. You, 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 you get some people get excited. Um, by the way, also the, what they're out doing now, I'm sure is uh, mating and, and, and laying their big egg cases. Um, if you ever see like a styrofoam yellowy thing looking thing, um, a lot of times it's attached to a, brand, well, a twig or, um, or a big blade of grass that's, uh, that's out in the field. Um, 
don't bring it inside because uh, if you do, a long time ago, I once brought one of those thinking that it was spent basically. Um, and uh, you know, the following spring of whenever I brought that thing in, um, my, it was in my daughter's room. We had like hundreds of little baby praying mantises hopping around her room. Um, I'm happy to say we basically got all of them, if not all, just about all of them, um, you know, picked up and we, and we got them outside. They just hop around. They're the cutest little things because they look, you know, they look like little, the adults. They just, they're just these little hopper things. But, um, but back to like the adult, um, you, you got to check this out because like I, and then, so I, then I thought about Cy Montgomery's book and then I thought about this Octolab observation, you know, with consciousness and stuff. Um, like our, our, our praying mantises, is there any kind of primitive thinking going on? That if you have that kind of time, you know, you, you're, a human is interacting with you and playing with you, right? Because how many other animals are going to make eyes at a praying mantis? They're either going to try to get away or if it's a bird or something, they're going to think, can I eat it? Um, you know, I don't want to eat it, although they probably have a lot of good protein and fatty acids and stuff. And I'm just really just trying to like, you know, um, observe, but also like, I can't tell you that there's not a connection there. I'm not saying that he likes me. Um, he's checking me out, but he won't go away. And so you literally could take an hour if you wanted and just like, and just observe and look closely, make it move, watch it move around. Um, they do you quite a favor. Um, but those eyes, again, you just can't keep your eyes off of them. And, you know, if you, I thought back um, then after ch getting so intimate with the eyes of the praying mantis, um, E.T. and the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The aliens, I think, are kind of similar. That, 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 you know, humans decided that um, aliens, if we ever meet them, are going to look like they do in those 80s um, sci-fi uh, movies, you know, with the big head and the big eyes and stuff. But if you... If, and I didn't go check out an image of E.T., by the way, but my, my, my recollection of what E.T. looked like or looks like, and the same thing with, where you get, to get a glimpse of those critters um, that land in Richard Dreyfuss's movie, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Same Richard Dreyfuss, who's the narrator in um, Stand By Me, the movie I love. Um, the, there's, if you think about that image, and then you look closely at the head of a praying mantis with its big eyes um, and, and what feels like it's a big head on its body compared to like other insects. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if a praying, praying mantis kind of served as the model for an alien, you know, not, not some high, high level um, creature, but, um, you know, but it's, but it's interesting. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but, but if you look at their big eyes, it's, they, they, they almost, they almost look intelligent. And you know, the way they check you out in that, in that way, they don't expend energy flying away. Do they know it's because they're not really great flyers? Um, you know, like what, what, what is it about um, that, that, stud, that they study you back? And, um, and, and again, you have to tell yourself that, wait a second, this is an insect I'm dealing with. That's another invertebrate. With, with, with a brain that has to be the size of like, the, like a pinhole or something. It's just, it's, it's, it's really, really low down. And, um, and insects are amazing in what, with what they can do and how they communicate and that kind of thing. But I, but I was wondering, like, you know, are they evolving as we are watching them? But, but are, is that evolution being aided by their, their large eyes? So just some, just some um, things to think about. Um, when, and, 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 and I really urge you, to look around you right now, because for the next few weeks, they, um, you know, if, if now's the time to encounter praying mantis. So that all said, I just, I, I wanted to uh, end, end with uh, my encounter 
of the uh, the utterly amazing Prang Mantis. Um, and um, and just uh, you know tying that back to the to the thoughts I, I shared about you know that we're kind of now left to each other's eyes um, when we're out and about wearing our masks. Um, you know, just to you know take note of the eyes around you, but um, but think about the connections you might be feeling or that might be established in the in in those eye to eye contacts. Enjoy the week. And I look forward to seeing or hearing, <laughs> um, sharing everything with you all uh, a week from this evening. Good night.